Hello and welcome to the This Is So Exhausting podcast where we offer an intimate insight from some of the industry's leading experts and how they see the future of the emissions industry developing. I am Tim Chain. And I am George Ade Onojobi. And today we have the privilege of Menakshi Sundaram joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tim and George. Thank you so much. Great to have you, Menakshi. First, sure, let me introduce so uh, introduce Menakshi to our listeners. Menakshi is CTO for Amalgamations Automotive Components Group. Uh, he's one of the industry veterans we love to talk to. Uh, and currently his responsibilities are powertrain, research and development, uh, product line management, and also diversification into hybridization and electrification products. So that's a theme we'll cover today. Uh, he studied a master's in technology and operations management. He's got more than two decades of, of experience in technical and commercial management at a range of companies, not just Amalgamations Group, but also Delphi, uh, GE Transportation, uh, and actually just most recently before Amalgamations, he was at Gates Corporation, where he was involved in automotive products. He's also really active in different industry forums, so be for, he will be familiar to, to lots of our listeners. But for those who haven't uh, yet come across I me, mean, actually, we are um, really looking forward to, to introducing you and dis- to the group and uh, discussing some of the key issues on our agenda today. So how things in India today, I Minakshi? Mean, um, you, uh, you, you're just kind of coming through the lockdown or are you going into lockdowns? What's the COVID situation currently? Yes, that's, that's what I'm going to say on the exhausting segment. First of all, thank you, Tim and George. Uh, yeah, jump into our, be... this is so exhausting segment. Tell us what's exhausting you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, uh, basically, we, we were in a very good shape until uh, October, November, but due to the current situation, so the numbers are increasing, COVID numbers, so not the business numbers. So uh, we are going for a, a literal reduced lockdown from maybe this week, and uh, hopefully we are not going to be uh, you know, impacting the business and trying to keep the business going, but also safeguard people and as safety comes in first. So the currently what I'm exhausted about, which if I have to say, uh, I thought that the the kind of lockdown is gone and we will be getting into full-time job and move forward to the company and meeting people, but that's not going to happen. Again, we are getting into the rooms and going to speak uh, to people over videos and audios. So that's what is going to be kind of exhausting to us right now. Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks. For, actually, I, you know, do you know what? I, I look forward to the day where our this is so exhausting segment isn't about COVID or being on lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that day is is around the corner. Um, but I hope I haven't put you in a bit of a corner again, Tim. Um, what is your this is so exhausting story COVID related or independent of COVID? <laughs> yeah, good question. Today, I've, I've, today I've managed to got uh, to come up with a this is an exhausting story, which is not COVID related. You'll be glad oh, wow. to hear, George. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my story. Uh, I think lots of lots of our listeners will identify with my story. Uh, we'll all, or many of us, will have these uh, voice assistants, which come with various devices we buy. I won't mention the name because I don't. I don't want. Uh, I don't want to activate all these devices in different people's homes as they are, as they're listening to us. But um, 
you know, we, I find I find they get quite frustrating. And I know this is a small problem, but I, I still feel like uh, it does get a bit tiring. In particular, it, I just struggle to get these devices to understand me. Uh, like, you know, for example, I'll say, um, play music by the Beatles. And then, the, you know, the assistant will say something like playing Dutch dance music from the 90s, you know, or... <laughs> Uh, one that happens often is um, I've got some of my lights connected to this device and I'll say like, in particular, I'll say, uh, turn off the, turn off outside lights. Mm. And, and the device will respond by saying, you know, bathroom disco, bathroom disco ball can't, can't be found. Yeah, like, wow. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and I know it's because I don't have a typical accent. You probably have to have an American accent or, you know, a, a, a mainstream British accent to be understood. But um, I just think that with all this, all the money they're spending on AI and neural networks and, and all the technology involved, that you, you know, you think over time they learn to understand me, but they, they really don't. I'd love to say I feel your pain there, Tim, but unfortunately I don't because as you can tell by the the sound of my voice. Uh, Alexa stand, understands me perfectly, uh, given my uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. pure nature of my... You're in the sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, true, my, my South African accent, uh, it, it doesn't go very far. <laughs> uh, so, so sorry. But, I mean, South Africa is very far, went very far in the World Cup, so there you go. You can't have it all. In, in, in that's life. true. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. What about yours, George? Yeah, just yeah, and, go yeah. so for everybody listening, just before the call, I asked Tim if he was going to put me on the spot again, like the last episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode, definitely um, tune into episode two with Miron Toms, which was great. Um, so I haven't had much time to prepare one, but I can think of one. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's around the idea of leaving shanghai for the first time since december 2019 um which i mean for some you know i think we've all been looking forward to leaving our homes and leaving our cities for since um getting out of lockdown and there i go i'm i'm talking about a covid related this is so exhausting segment a story here um but the nerves that i was not expecting of getting to a train station to get on a three-hour train was crazy i couldn't believe it that all this time i've been looking forward to getting out of shanghai i'm only going on a three-hour train um but my mind's okay so the little things like okay so what do i do at a train station again or how do i pack my luggage because i haven't (laughs) i haven't packed my luggage in over a year and i used to I i learned a few techniques on youtube how to pack my luggage efficiently you know how to fold the trousers and things like that so now going away from shanghai i just didn't know how to pack my luggage i didn't know okay so what time do i leave home okay when i get to the train station do i give them my ticket or my passport because it's a bit complicated in china you have to show them your passport to get on a train and scan and all sorts it's a bit complicated but so that's my this is so exhausting story I'm trying to get in mind i can imagine lots of us are going to have that the first time i get to the airport airport after 18 months or whatever it's going to be yeah, like, what do I do? What do I do? On the trains, you have to wear a face mask the whole time. Yeah, it's different. But I, I definitely had a good time out of Shanghai for the first time. Um, so it's not Did really... Did go somewhere far, somewhere remote in the middle of nowhere? It, it's defi- remote and far is, is definitely the operative word here. 
It's a city called Wenzhou, which I've never been to in my entire life. It was a rugby weekend tour with the um, Shanghai Dragons team. Um, never been there before, but it reminded me of my, you know, first experience in China in 2010, uh, when I ended up here with, just with a backpack and nothing else, um, and ended up in a village called Handan, um, where you know the population of expats was 10 in a city of four million. Uh, so it kind of it was it was good to go back there and and uh, yeah experience the almost a real China. I could say that. Um, but yeah, happy days, happy days. Well, but I'm, worth the effort. Yeah, certainly, certainly worth the effort. But we'll, we've definitely will get into the meat and bones of the conversation today again. And actually, thanks so much for your time. I know we've been, you're a busy man, I must say. Um, I, ha I have I have greater chance of speaking. I always say this when I speak to you, but I have greater chance of speaking to the Queen than I have of getting of getting you on the phone. So thanks so much for making time for us on the phone today. Um, and I really look forward to our discussion. But yeah. for, for those of us that might not know you, Manakshi, and the amalgamations group for which you work for, um, can you give us an insight into the Amalgamations Group and their contribution or involvement in the diesel off treatment industry? Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you, George. I would say I'm, I'm, I was busy, but I'm trying to get out of that and keep some time for you, especially. And I'm sure looking forward to work together with you this year. That's the first uh, first sentence I want to say. And about our group in view of uh, we are most uh, into automotive and agricultural segments. But our exposure as a component group is more into automotive. And uh, we we have right now with the, if I have to say diesel after treatment, before that I would like to say that we are in uh, engine combustion and we are into valve train system. And then we are getting into uh, diesel after treatment. I would say a portion of uh, after treatment, which is a dosing system for SCR. But if I have to move back and see, we have been originally a piston company. We have technologies for BS6 and moving forward and variable wall train systems and camshafts. So these components, we believe that all put together should give a lightweighting and certainly the efficiency improvement, which helps in CAFE 2 and after treatment. That's that's a current uh, contribution we do have. And as we move forward, we would like to have more on the after treatment segment because diesel diesel is going to be there with the heavy duty trucks. So we would like to concentrate more on the uh, you know, SCR dosing systems, which are coming back with the urea dosing plus tank and some sensors. That's where we would like to concentrate and move forward. I'm always reminded of how Amalgamations Group is one of those companies you may not have heard of, but they important in global supply chains and involved in supplying so many different products, not just for India, but for exports into the US and around the world. So it's great to hear your perspective because you cross lots of boundaries and you're involved in so many different sectors that uh, your, you, you know, your perspective is really interesting for us today. Yes, in, in view of uh, component supplies, I would say uh, we work very closely with the OEMs uh, starting from requirement collection number one. And number two, in normal days, it was so easy to supply them and meet their expectations. But with COVID coming in, the demand has spiked. After COVID, the demand has spiked and the supply was less. So we had to manage uh, cross countries as well as cross regions within the country. We have put together a lot of new systems in place and a lot of new uh, softwares or IoT systems in place to monitor our 
components to customers and not to stop his line and to help him on time. So there was a lot of emphasis after COVID on supply chain. And not only we supply to the OEM, we also have to take care of our suppliers. So we are now working more towards our suppliers to give us the right parts at the right time so that we can give it to the customers. That's one. Technically, when you see the technologies available with us are okay to go up to Euro 6 equivalent or BS6. So we were able to convince customers with our current technologies to be on the business even in um, Europe as well as in the in the US in view of engine and transmission side. Thank you, Tim. Well, and actually, it's very interesting you say that because um, if you read the headlines that we see every week, you would think that diesel is dead or there is no future for diesel. But as you as you mentioned, you uh, amalgamation groups have, have a concentration, of course, um, mm-hmm. in this sector. So it'll be interesting to hear how you how you see the industry developing from that perspective. Is it still is it still growing? How are the how are you seeing the trends looking from your perspective? Okay, uh, it's going to be very uh, honest answer from my end. I would say the diesel is going to live. It's not that a uh, bunch of diesel people are speaking. We want that to live, but it's going to live. That's what I strongly believe. And I will give you some perspective from the olden times, maybe 10 years old. Uh, we were we were working for fuel injection systems in gasoline for motorcycles. We tried proposing the systems in 2004, 5, 6. So when I spent one and a half years in China, we were proposing 2005 EFI systems in China. The similar times we're proposing EFI systems for motorcycles, to be very precise. Motorcycles we are proposing to India in 2005-06. So the when I say proposing, we are given components, we are given vehicle, we completed the calibration, we were to implement. We said from carburetor to EFI, right? We are moving. That's what I am seeing now, the similar things from uh, gasoline to electric or diesel to electric. So the similar changeover is happening in injection technology or in uh, drivetrain technology. It took 14 years from there to get on to full-fledged EFI systems or motorcycles. 14 years. So the technology incubation in India will be longer and the technology validation will be medium and then the implementation will be, time will be shorter. So overall, we are looking at another 15 years minimum that the diesel will be in limelight looking for efficiency improvement, looking for fuel fuel economy improvements, looking for light weighting. It will remain. And the, the primary reason being, we don't have strong localized content in electrification or the current auto fuel policy is really giving us enough energy to run for 10, 15 years more with the same growth rates. Uh, we are not looking to, at least in diesel, LCV, MCV, HCV, I am not seeing any big reduction coming in because of electrification. So the life should be as usual. Having said that, being a, being a technology guy, I should support the technology to see we must drive two horses. We must ride two horses. So the one horse, which is IC engine horse, is running as as normal and step by step towards uh, diesel and commercial vehicles but probably the other horse which i am driving might be driving uh, riding might be going faster in two wheelers and three wheelers and not not higher than that this is my opinion 
So, I mean, actually, it sounds like you see electrification as as a trend, a macro trend that is coming and uh, offers offers lots of opportunities, but it's going to take time and also suited to more certain applications. You mentioned two and three wheelers. Um, so certain certain applications you're involved in are more suited to electrification, and we'll, we'll see that sooner and, and quicker, certainly on a time frame basis. Which app, which applications do you think are going to be the most difficult to electrify uh, in the long term? You know, most people would say HGV, heavy duty heavy duty vehicles, um, maybe con- construction. Which which applications do you think we'll see diesel power, uh, drivetrains lasting in for the longest? Okay, that that would be certainly the construction equipments will live longer in in Indian perspective in view of the volumes as well as the technology and the reach to people, um, the the vast country and the connectivity. Keeping in mind and the infrastructure needed for electrification, construction industry will remain longer with uh, diesel. And if I have to go to the next one, it will be the on-road heavy-duty commercial vehicles, because they they are very worried about the TCO total cost of operations even though we talk about batteries can battery vehicles can reduce the tco significantly in view of fuel consumption but i would be very much worried about the life of the battery recycling what technology we use is still not clear so the first will be the construction the second will be on road but surprisingly i see lot of uh, farmers lot of uh, end customers in view of agricultural is interested in accepting electrification the fact may be they are right now burdened with with too much of the cost in view of fuel cost as well as the uh, you can say uh, the value stream cost like the tractors have to go to the villages to fill diesel and come back to the farmland and work or people will carry the diesels in view of uh, uh, in tanks and small cans they bring it and use it so they are lot affected by the value stream of diesel in agricultural so they are more looking forward and positive to see electrification tried out but there the question of uh, the validation and how do we understand the current agricultural equipments and we put in so the construction will be the long lasting and second long lasting will be on road and then the agricultural and then we go into others so the shortest one will be two wheelers and three wheelers yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, actually, we, you know, Amalgamations Group is strong, really strong, and focusing on the agribusiness. Uh, definitely tractor engines and and um, all kinds of issues to do with tractors, even supply of tractors. And uh, I know that you're involved in some R and D work to do with electrifying or maybe hybridizing uh, engines for tractors. Can you tell us more about that program and and the progress you've made so far? Uh, especially given the nature of tractors, ag tractors in India being quite small, small typically, they do sound like applications that suit, lend themselves to electrification. So what kind of opportunities do you see there? Tell, tell us more about the work you're doing in that area. Yes. Uh, thank you, Tim. See, what we are looking at is riding the two horses, which we said. So we have to be on the electrification of agricultural the tractor has been led by a different team and they will speak more about that. But what I see is the small equipments in agriculture, small equipment, small uh, uh, appliances which are available in agriculture today is significantly uh, driving or pulling towards electrification. So we are making some smaller 
agricultural machines which we can try out try out at this point and then make prototypes testing that's what is in our uh, game plan right now and the technologies will be developed by us and we are doing it uh, the reason being we we manufacture our own engines for tractors so we need to make our own powertrains to power the electrified vehicles and looking at technologies to develop in house so the lower horsepower vehicles let's say less than 20 hp having a more pull in agricultural sector and electrification is our concentration right now but as we go further yeah the the group will certainly look at uh, tractors and other bigger uh, vehicles to be electrified because we need to be on the game even though we say it will take time to uh, get on to the market so what we are trying to do is develop our own motor our own controller and battery pack could be bought out which which is not yet clear because of the changing chemistry so we could put this power train at least within ourselves and the energy device can be from outside and put together and go and validate some of the smaller agricultural equipments once we do that then we have enough experience to move forward and take a bigger game on it i uh, see so the, so the concept would be that farmers would would use this equipment during the day and then recharge it during the night i guess uh, at their homes um and therefore save themselves having to to um source and but go to towns or villages to buy fuel is that is that the the product concept yes see the the product concept is currently in india having less than 2 acres 3 acres per person so the work done is probably 4 hours a day because you know the human work is also high when you do with even though mechanization is happening faster the human work is also high in agricultural space so 4 hours if a person does a job that's good enough as of today considered to be a cost of operation or time of operation so 4 hours he, he has to do so the electric vehicles what we do should be 4 to 5 hours then we are in the game okay will people expect 8 hours uh, in single charge yes they may expect there are people for that yeah bigger land holding farmers will expect 8 hours but majority of the farmers will look at 4 to 5 hours if we do we can do incidentally the efficiency of the electrified vehicles would be little bigger than the ic engine so people can do a little bit more with the same kind of vehicles electrified this is what uh, i personally feel because of the uh, working efficiency from a well to wheel or from a tank to wheel condition in electrification that much complication is not available it may be a little bit more efficient to do more job in the quicker time okay, completely see see the opportunity there um and I, i we look forward to to hearing more about how that that research develops let's let's move to ice uh, ice's combustion engines um because there's still so much work to do in that area and um maybe we can focus on the the, the future developments in after treatment technology uh so we're we looking there at ag tractor engines or uh, on highway truck engines um assuming that two wheelers and three wheelers are so suited to electrification as you mentioned we 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 would expect to see those electrified early on but uh we we do expect it to take so much longer for uh, for those larger engines to electrify how do you suggest and propose and develop products for for those heavier engines those tractor engines and those truck engines that uh allow for efficiency and total cost of ownership uh constraints but still 
uh, we'll still be able to meet the, the ever more stringent emission standards that we have to accept are coming and, and required in order to improve the air quality. Sure, Tim. That, that is an interesting question because there's a lot to do. When we say that ICE engine is going to live longer, we should speak more on it. Uh, what I see very uh, excited about is, first of all, the emission challenges for on-highway and off-highway is no different going forward. So from October 2021, we will start implementing the CV4. Then we move to CV5, Trump 5 in 24, but it can, it'll be certainly there. So the kind of technologies what customers are expecting are we ourselves are suppliers and sometime customer. So what we are expecting is the efficiency improvement we are looking at, fuel economy improvement, because we need to virtually fight with the electrified vehicles, even though the electrification is not going to happen sooner, people are going to compare electrification and demand more efficiency from IC engine. That's one. And number two, as the emission is getting more stringent and stringent, the fuel economy penalty should not be there. So people are going to look more into a, um, you know, Knox favorite solutions to improve the fuel economy. That's second one they are going to look at. And the third one is for sure the engine deactivation may get into that. We must say that India today is having smaller engines. It may not need it, not giving much of benefits. But as we go further, the Indian agricultural segment or on-road segments are looking at bigger engines. So it is not uh, problematic to think that people would expect efficiency from the engine. So either I can do idle start stop or we can do deactivation when it's not been really used. So uh, going forward, the looking at start-stop conditions, which is a mild hybrid, not even I'm not even getting into full hybrid levels, mild hybrids to start-stop, and the uh, NOx solutions for fuel economy, and for sure the light weighting in powertrain. I'm not looking at light weighting of the overall engine. Certainly the the guys don't like it, but the light weighting of the right components, let's say piston, to deliver more efficiency or we look at the rotational uh, inertia reduction in engines, which are camshafts, let's say assembled camshafts you bring in. These are all not exposed outside. So these components can really significantly give five, 6% fuel economy. So the fuel economy improvement, light weighting in the right parts, and then getting into the after treatment, improving fuel economy, because emissions for agriculture can be well managed with the combustion improvements and Anyways, the after treatment is available from on road will eventually come this side. So we could we could do that. That's that's the current uh, thinking I have in mind. So, uh, OK, one more important point I can tell you as we move from CV four to five or Trump four to Trump five, the thermal management is going to be very, very important because the demand on emission reduction is going to be directly proportional to the combustion efficiency and thermal management. So thermal management this long time has been in India, it's over-designed, it's not optimized. So there is a lot of optimization going to happen with respect to uh, thermal management, which I would say cooling systems and lubrication systems, there's a lot of emphasis going to come in. This is what I feel. Yeah, thermal management is a theme we hear about everywhere in all regions because we know that we well, first of all, we know that emissions uh, in in test cycles are are most of the emissions of NOx particularly come through the cold parts of any test cycle, and also just in practice, um, you know, lots of lots of machines or vehicles are used in applications where 
engines are not running warm enough, so we need to find solutions. I guess stop, start stop technology is one way of even improving thermal management by not running the engine when there's no load, um, and that must be an attractive technology to to roll out. Which other technologies do you see being most useful for for thermal management itself? You know, how, how do you see your your technologies helping with with thermal management? See, when even though electrification is not going to be in a big way, but it has to play a role in agri or in on highway trucks. So I would I would like to see a kind of hybrid cooling technologies or going to um, electric uh, you know coolant pumps so that you have the control on the thermal management. It's not going to need or it's not going to be needing a huge amount of battery power or anything else. So there is a huge advantage on cooling systems getting electrified. And for example, I have a coolant pump, which is electric coolant pump. Then I have a thermostat, which is electronically controlled. Anyway, the engines have become ECU. If I say seven years ago, eight years ago, all the engines are mechanical fuel injection pumps. We don't need to bring in a lot of electronics to burden the end customer who are really the farmers and maintenance. But right now, whether we want it or not, all the engines have become electronically controlled and they're all getting into uh, four and five of Trump. So everybody is accustomed to this. So when we do so, there is nothing wrong in going and electrifying a portion of the engine um, and then get the best out of it. So cooling system, uh, electric coolant pumps and thermostats will be will be there. But at the same time, I cannot conclude. I'm not seeing much of attraction on variable displacement oil pumps or energy reduction in, in lubrication system. But there is a lot of emphasis on cooling the oil, right? There's a lot of emphasis on cooling the oil and getting the right temperatures around and getting the right efficiencies on the or the friction reduction in the engine. Okay, so a big theme really is firstly electrification where it makes sense to control, to, to improve thermal management. And of course, electronic controls go, go very closely in line with electrification. What about the after treatment system itself how how do you see the after treatment system helping in this overall push towards improved fuel economy and total cost of ownership for example do you see increasing use of of scr um, of urea for nox control as a way of improving allowing an improvement in combustion efficiency yes certainly certainly the more of the emphasis is going to come in scr because people don't want to lose a single percentage of fuel economy where they can get get it out from there so people are thinking more of can i just live with you know doc scr combination that getting into the dpf is one question but unfortunately the emission numbers are pushing everyone to hold doc dpf scr probably we are not getting into a sleep catalyst also but in view of uh, if i have to see from five we can many people who has a good engine base engine can manage with the DOC, SCR, and getting into some portion of EGR we can do. There is a combination of fuel economy as well as emissions can be met. If the base engine design is good, or you go ahead and update the engine design with a good amount of thermal management, we can do that. If not, even if you're forced to have a full-fledged ATS system, which has DOC, DPF, SCR, that's fine. But the important part is, how are we going to size the after treatment system to get the back pressures right so the fuel economy right 
So that's that's where the concentration coming in. But certainly everybody is preferring SCR because everyone believes and it is giving some fuel economy benefit. We do see that trend across many different manufacturers. The move to uh, really, really increasing the load on the SCR, or even running with an SCR only system. We heard that from uh, from Miran Toms in our last podcast. While we're talking um, off highway, especially ag engines, the regulations have got stricter and stricter. Um, I guess they've, like in all regions, the regulations have got more stringent off highway a few years after they're on highway developments. But do you think that off highway regulations are becoming too strict you know is the balance going too far do you think it's it's a good development to see such stringent limits on uh, on ag engines and construction engines yeah but looking at the numbers what has been sold and the kind of duty cycle seasoned vehicle season vehicle i'm not going to run like a truck 24 by 7 it's it's it is too stringent and we would be burdening them that's what i feel but having said that, we need to be part of the whole game in the country and we can't uh, isolate ourselves from that market or segment. So do you need that stringent one for the usage? May not be. But if you start excluding, then everybody will start excluding themselves from that. So we are part into the game. So we calling it as a progress. OK, everybody needs progress. We are also there with it. You are going with the norms. We'll try to meet it. But do we need that? Because the tractor the duty cycle what we are using rental tractors are very very less so let's say the percentage is going to be single digit but the personal use or the private tractors is not being used that far like what has been used uh, 20 years ago 20 years ago tractors were used even transporting people from a to b in a in a non-connected villages but today everyone has automotive vehicles they have fancy vehicles and it's been well connected so we are not going to use or we are not using tractors for everything and anything. So the duty cycle of usage, time of usage, hour of usage has come down. So the emission norms are more stringent when comparing to other used vehicles. But having said that, let it be like that. It's going to bring in the technology back into the system, which is coming from on highway. But the expectation of the off highway on cost and and the reliability is little different than on highway. I wouldn't say higher because on highway has got their own way of expecting reliability and warranty systems. But agriculture on off highway has their own way of looking at reliability and the uh, efficiency, cost efficiency. Added added complexity of, of the new systems being required on off highway equipment is going to increase the burden on OEMs to support their customers and to ensure reliability and durability of these products. Uh, do, you, do you think there'll need to be a different way of supporting customers through workshops and dealers and after, you know, aftermarket programs to uh, to ensure that these, these um, machines are reliable enough? Yes, there's a lot of education has to happen, for sure. So, for example, we have rolled out a lot of uh, YouTube videos and getting into online training programs to people, giving them videos, uh, self, you know, self-watch videos. We are going ahead, and that education has to happen a lot, so that he knows what he is doing and why these complexities are brought in. We are burdening them, that's for sure. But at least we'll educate them on what we are burdening, that they know how to maintain them. It's not going to run like earlier, how they used to run it with even uh, not changing the filters for a long time. 
so they need to start getting into the maintenance programs participate with the oems and maintain the vehicles and then get the benefit out of that so the tco is a function of how good you are maintaining or how well you are connected with the service centers for sure the digitalization is going to help with that keeping an app on it at least inform the vehicle owners that this is what is going to be replaced in so and so time as a recommendation but certainly there are going to be a change between what is recommended what they are going to do actually but at least they know that they are supposed to do itself is a great step forward yeah technology is going to be a key key components of of helping customers understand the interventions they need to make one of the one of the themes i've heard about which i wanted to check with you is the addition of dpf technology uh, dpfs of course depending on the engine operation and the engine optimization need need to be cleaned occasionally or even sometimes frequently is that one of the challenges of of this new era is how customers clean their dpfs is there an intervention needed how do they know when that when that uh, is required what do you think we're going to how do you think we're going to handle that whole issue of of making sure the dpf is is clean enough and doesn't have back pressure and doesn't cause issues in the system yes thank you thank you for the questions i am going to learn that together with you today as we speak and as well i am going to speak what we have in mind because we we have not yet seen that in real life and little testing is running on and we have data from global global experience but what is going to happen is the in india if i have to speak a little bit on on highway first on highway people are talking about 60 70000 kilometers we go ahead and change uh, the uh, uh, dpf cleaning for right and dpf cleaning infrastructure is getting done from the on highway uh, oems so they if, even if they recommend 70000 kilometers in view of tractors it should be 3000 hours 3000 hours or 3500 hours rather we need to clean it up so what i hope is the on highway guys are well in the advanced in the game they would put together the service infrastructure to clean the dpf occasionally as required by the service systems and then 2024 in india the dpf is going to be in full swing in agriculture also so what's going to happen 24 we will have enough place to clean but the first time the agricultural vehicles are needing to be cleaning dpf should be 2026 so 3500 hours today the engine life expected is 8000 hours bare minimum so he is going to clean dpf twice in the engine lifetime or thrice if a guy is very very careful so by keeping that in mind it is manageable and it's not really a problem but as you said earlier the education has to come in acceptance has to come in and as manufacturers we are thinking how well we can reduce the contribution of back pressure from a dpf perspective that's what we are fighting for in technology okay i had quite realized that we we, we do have time so there's still some years before the first uh, non road equipment will need to, to see some dpf cleaning so with this there there will be uh many years to implement this kind of support systems that are required um that's reassuring to know but just just while we finish up on the after treatment theme mm-hmm. I mean actually I wanted to ask mm-hmm. whether you, whether you think there's anything that f- that frustrates you or anything missing in the current approach either for on highway or off highway emissions norms do you think that there's a big gap or opportunity that's being missed in the way the, the 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 regulations are being introduced something that frustrates you about the the scheme and the system that's being introduced 
Yes. Uh, the only, one, one thing which does is the natural progression of technology is not happening. We are pushing everything. We skipped BS5. Okay, everybody is there for progress. We agreed. We skipped BS5 and we said we will go ahead and uh, meet it as a whole group. We do that. But the the COVID slowdown came in. The numbers didn't materialize. Three months were a washout. Zero a sales. Then we are picking up. Currently, the most things which frustrate us Every other uh, every other segment, two-wheeler, three-wheeler is catching up and trying to come to pre-COVID levels, but not the on-highway, not the on-highway, 25% down, even if you have to say very nicely 20% down, but agricultural has given a little, little uh, you know, consolation, and it was up by 10% average. Uh, the demand is high because people are still doing the work what they have to do, not like on-highway. So the after-treatment things, which are technology, which is really pushing people, are the time is not available to go ahead and uh, make things happen in the uh, cost-effective way. Everybody is doing the right way, but because the time is short, time is money, we had to spend more money to get the thing done on the same time. That's what is really uh, frustrating. And second is the infrastructure required to clean the after-treatment system, whether it's DPF, um, or the whole catalytic converters. It's not really uh, materialized, but I feel that somewhere now around the corner, the on-highway vehicles are going to be lined up to do the DPF cleaning, and we should ensure that the infrastructure is available for people to use that. Uh, yes, your first point is very valid, I think. The industry faces a double penalty in the sense that the the timeline has become much more aggressive in India, which I think is good, you know, the, given that the fuel availability is there and uh, air quality needs to be improved. But the slowdown in sales, especially on the on-highway side for, for, for trucks, has made the challenge for the industry really acute. You know, you know, having less sales and having to move quicker with technology, that's that's got to be something that you, know, you feel is going to be difficult for everybody involved. And I guess everyone just does the best they can. It's probably it's probably one of the reasons when because I read an article last month I think and actually that a delegation from CM had a meeting with Nitin Nitin Gadkari. Mm-hmm. He's a very famous guy. I'll, t- I'll probably yeah. tell a tell a story about Nitin Gadkari um, after I ask the question. I don't want to don't yeah. want to move away from the issue, but um, he's like the un- very famous um, minister for road and transport and highways. I think he did some great things in India. I believe I was told. Yeah. Um, yep. But last month. Um, a delegation from CM, they urged a postponement of CAFE, um, mm. CAFE Phase 2 regulations to April 2024. That was the request. Mm. Um, we understand that CAFE norms are like designed to lower consumption of fuel and enhance fuel efficiency by lowering carbon dioxide emissions. Um, I'd be interest- interested to hear your perspective as to the reasons behind CM's request to delay implementation from your perspective, and you touched on timing and the pushing of, of, um, of requests and standards and implementations in India specifically, but you know, what's your perspective on the implementation and, and the need for a delay? Are there any unique benefits or face to rollout in India that m- might not be seen in other countries? Tell me your thoughts then actually. Yeah. Uh, thank you, George. See, what, what we said was when the government was asking us to, first of all, why we went to ask for a uh, time, right? It's primarily based on, number one, we skipped BS5, put a lot of investments to go to BS6 directly. We were trying to reduce the time and getting the homologation testing done, ensuring the reliability, signing up for the warranty, 
everything is higher than what the industry can really you know digest okay we did that for the reason that we want to show the world that we are also committed to environment we are also committed to uh, you know uh, clean energy initiatives all around the world everybody is doing we do our bit that's what we were trying to do we agreed for it but when we went into that trying to implement bs6 you know what happened the market was zero april 1st we were in lockdown and really it was not there second is customers are also smart for sure they would have done some pre buy in october november december last year that is why we are still struggling to catch the last year number after the uh, post covid levels so number one the numbers didn't materialize at all for the investments what you have done and the technology is not yet fully localized that's a very important reason we are all having enough uh, joint ventures and enough uh, collaborations with the global giants to bring the technology to india that didn't materialize because the volumes didn't materialize and the third is the buying the buying of commercial vehicles have become slowed down the biggest investments have come in for the commercial vehicles starting from lm cvh cvs it's all invested in one time to move forward we thought that four five years you will have to take back the money or even invest reinvest right that didn't happen and then the related related technology localization didn't happen one side we are also investing as a industry perspective one side we are investing on electrification because that we can't leave out for instance our group is present in two wheeler three wheeler as well as truck and agriculture where do we invest the investment prioritizing has to happen and everywhere if it is regulation then there is no option that everywhere you must invest so we can't really leave out any other place so the burden for every company becomes higher and higher with that so the reason for going back to the government and saying okay guys can you give us a little breathing time this primarily to bring in the technology localization so that the import burden we are not going to change from oil to components right that's the primary reason and number two what do we do with the infrastructure we are just moving from uh, bs6 and we are trying to do some cost optimization as well as uh, um, you know the life optimization of the products we don't have time now we need to jump in to cafe 2 and start working on cafe 2 which is rde or our fuel economy improvements we need to do light weighting so the pressure is going to be on all 360 degrees how are we going to take this and go and knowledge available is high but competency available is medium money available is low so with all of them how do we manage this and still come out with flying colors which means numbers selling uh, in higher numbers and trying to withstand the uh, you know investments what's been done so that is why we went and asked them but finally the result you all might be knowing by now the government said no we need to go and implement from 2020 to april so the capex pressure is again high and the market is 25% lower 24% to be precise lower than the pre covid levels we are at to catch up so that's that's a current situation but still at the end uh, as a country we said okay we go and do that what benefits we might have seen we might have seen some benefits which are available to Uh, reduce the uh, fuel consumption how much 6 7% even if we do uh, we are going to get benefited with that kind of uh, oil import deficit we can but the negatives are going to be investing auto component manufacturers have to invest cm means society of indian automobile manufacturers to invest a lot then we are going to put that same burden with services service infrastructure and iot enabled or um, you know the Uh, software related things we need to teach train people 
so it's got to be a lot yeah and no, actually that's 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 news to me actually um i didn't know i did you did you did see him have the meeting with nitin lot recently lot in the last week i knew the meeting was going to happen in april but was that last yep. week yeah we did uh, the the delegation met they have uh, informed them but last week uh, around 2 uh, weeks ago it's been uh, the extension has been denied and we have been asked to work on uh, cafe 2 for 2022 april so we we don't want to have one more lockdown or second wave in india we all pray for it that we pass through that and put all our energy with cm from a component manufacturers trying to meet that also but see how well we can uh, do and go with uh, what what other help that government can give in view of uh, gsts or in view of any other uh, help that's what the hope that, right now that's going to be a challenge i mean actually i hadn't realized either so there's lots of work to do ahead of um introduction of cafe 2 did you say the 22 2022 deadline remains in place yes remains in place wow yeah we need yeah. to we need to work towards that what the government feel is the cafe 2 what we have as a, a gvws and what we have as a, a you know norms for it we can meet in 10 15% uh, gap everybody has a 10% to 15% gap so the government feel that if we stretch once again we will be able to meet that what what kind of fuel efficiency savings are required under cafe 2 just in in general terms in on average yes for a for a 1200 uh, kg vehicle 1200 roughly uh, early we are at 130 gram per kilometer we should be moving to 113 so we are looking at 15 16% reduction in everywhere overall so one is uh, you know indian vehicles are fuel efficient when you start from thinking about other countries so what can we do yes, how much small we can engines squeeze? already yeah yeah very small engines enough technologies in what we are trying to do now is uh, go with some amount of start stop mild start stop systems or reduce the overall fleet average weight so that we can meet that so there are there are all the major uh, discussions which people are working around when actually um i, I do I do have a short question. Well, it's a, I have a story. Before I tell you the story, maybe you'll give uh, um, our, our listeners the significance of of who, who Nitin Gadkari is and to India, and maybe what he's done in India's uh, uh, road and transport history. Yeah. Uh, what he has done? Yeah, because I have a story. Because I had an experience when I went to yeah. an expo, CM Expo, but I want to give it some context. <laughs> sure sure yeah that's that's not only there you you can look at it the kind of kilometers per day we are building is also high and right now uh, we are he also mentioned that we would like to remove the first remove the toll but keep an electronic toll so that you can just pass by you are not going to wait in the toll to pay money uh, that's also been in implementation right now by 2024 there'll be no tolls that means you need to pay money but it'll be like i pass kind of thing in uh, chicago so we will do that also the infrastructure built per day is the highest right now in india so some good things some challenges we need to balance that as engineers and give some better solutions indeed um so, so i went to siam a couple of years ago now mm-hmm. in india and it was um it was my first non integer conference mm-hmm. i went to in india mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and there was this there, all of a sudden there was whispers 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 in the in the big expo hall 
Yeah. And I was hearing, oh, he's coming, he's coming. Or because um, there was a delay, we were all waiting for his entrance. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we see a, a, a parade of, I would, I, in my understanding or um, in, interpretation of who they are, they seemed like Indian Secret Service agents. Uh-huh. <laughs> with, with, they all had the earpieces and the sunglasses, wearing sunglasses inside, which I know in a lot of places is, is, is illegal or crime. I, if I see anybody wearing sunglasses inside, other than my aunties right. and uncles, it's really funny. Right. Um, but you just see loads of people coming in and there's like a parade. And it's just very, very interesting how everybody was almost in awe of, 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 of this guy. It, it, I think for me, when we talk about conferences and going uh-huh. forward, hopefully when, when, um, when we don't have, um, you know, we, virtual conferences anymore, um, I think Nitin Gukari, if we could have him at one of our conferences in India, would be awesome. It would be really awesome. It's uh, always possible. I would look forward for your conference immediately whenever we are out of this COVID. I think your your boss, you, you were mentioning me, your boss or your company is the only one who predicted that there will be no conference until 2022. If I remember, George, we, we spoke yeah, about yeah. lockdown. That, that yeah. seems to be practical and very clear, uh, what do you say, prediction. Otherwise, I was hoping that 2021, we will have it in India with integer or even I was hoping that 20 November we can go to Brazil, if you remember. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've missed out. I do remember. Yeah, yeah. But, but fear not. You know, actually, I told you, but everybody listening, we do have our online conference again in June. So June 15th to the 17th, we're bringing all our conferences together in one place. So um, hopefully, I mean, actually, you will be there. Uh, I'm sure you will be. Um, and But if you're listening and you're interested in the emissions industry, involved in the industry, would like to get an update on legislation and advanced technology solutions for the future. Yeah. If you want to be involved in the future of, of the industry and where it's going, I certainly would, would love to have you join the conference. Um, information is available on the website and I will certainly try and include a link in the um, Spotify and Apple Music page. Um, but actually, we do value your time. We have one or two more questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, please, yeah. please go ahead. And uh, when you send me the information on June, I would be ready because we are expanding ourselves in after treatment. You will, you will hear more from us on that. Great. Uh, good news. Yeah, George, thanks for the, the gap because I was hoping to ask something. I mean, actually, I was asking to, hoping to ask about fuel because um, my interest in India has been going back maybe 15 years in, in, in this area. And the biggest theme we used to speak about was fuel quality and the sulfur content of fuel and how to roll out ultra low sulfur diesel, low sulfur diesel across India. And it was always the thing that held back the introduction of clean engines, really. It was, a, I think, a major roadblock. But that issue seems to have really resolved itself in quite an amazing way, I would say. Mm-hmm. But you know, where do we stand now on fuel policy? And fuel is so important to enable these technologies. Can you just comment on, is, is fuel policy now resolved? Do you think it's it's now um, something we don't have to worry about? Or there, are there issues to do with fuel policy, fuel supply, which still need your need attention from the industry? Uh, okay, thank you. See, as you said rightly, you, you will know India better. 
Uh, what I wanted to say in 2003-4, you know, gasoline and kerosene we used to mix and do testing, 50-50%. That is what is called as the normal fuel for engineers to qualify all our injectors and all the components. So that was the fuel quality which we were talking about kind of 20 years ago. But we have come a long way. We had a lot of improvements done on the way, continuously improving, never we went back. The adulteration gone out. If you see 2003 to 2007 in India, adulteration gone out, a lot of education. Then people came into uh, demanding better fuel quality. Then we, we improved our sulfur content over the years with cities because it's been vastly uh, distributed uh, cities and uh, you know gasoline fuel stations or diesel fuel stations. So we have improved that 50 ppm. Today with BS6, we are at 10 ppm, number one. On a fuel quality, I can say very honestly, I'm seeing the best of best quality which a country can do with this kind of you know diversified environment so we don't have any alarm in fuel quality right now all we need to and availability is also not a problem because government also has invested a lot of money in getting the bs6 fuels all across the country so the availability is not a question now the quality is not to be worried you know right now people are worried about how the urea quality will be how the add blue quality will be but then with the quality sensor implementation that's been taken care of, at least uh, checked. That's one. The fuel policy, what is happening? Government has been thinking about the vehicles are going electrified, and what are we going to do with it? How are we going to take the natural progression of our fuels to reduce the import burden? So we said, like two two months ago, we have been discussing a lot on fuel policy with the government. So number one is on E20. Ethanol should be 20% in gasoline is one. Second is biodiesel 10%. And there is a lot of, uh, uh, you know, announcements on ethanol production and uh, uh, helping on, uh, you know, with subsidies or how you want to do. So that's coming up. So E20 with uh, with gasoline is going to be the requirement going forward. But it will be a slow uh, implementation in four years down the line. But the protective grade fuel also will be available. That means we go to E20, but still E10 will be available for five years. That's what our demand is, and the government is looking at it. So E20, protective grade, should be available for some time. The second one is we are going into B10. How do we do biodiesel 10% of the diesel? So thereby we can do some cut down in uh, our fuel consumption uh, in view of uh, overall country. That's, that's two things. But to support the CNG infrastructure, we know that Delhi is full of CNG. And modeling that Delhi area, how, how we can go ahead and create infrastructure for CNG is the is the third one. And other than that, all other fuels, I would say, will be a secondary role or a minority role, whether it could be LPG or whether it could be hydrogen fuels. They are not put forward much in the out-of-fuel policy. Gasoline, diesel, E20, E10. And in fact, government is requesting and asking us to study more on how do we move from E20 to E85 and E100. We are not going to be like in the early time we had e, E10 and E24, then you go to E85, E100 flux fuels. That's gone. E10, E20, then go to E85 and E100. So how can we implement this in the line of action? Maybe in 10 years? So that's that's the uh, discussion on gasoline. In diesel, the discussion is about B10. But certainly one set of people are interested in, uh, in CNG infrastructure with the cities so that the uh, cities are becoming more and more clean with uh, banning diesel within the congested cities. That's that's what is the fuel outlook right now. That's 
it's such a transition or a transformation from where we were a few years ago, worrying about sulfur and fuel and the impact on air quality, which was severe. Uh, so really good to hear that it's now just much more about uh, more straightforward issues of of uh, reducing import dependence and and you know increasing biofuel blend um, in in gasoline and and diesel. Really really good progress. And I guess maybe that's one way. I, uh, we can reach our concluding comments because we, we George and I wanted to have uh, a focus on India uh, in these mm-hmm. latest latest two podcasts because we we felt that uh, I think a lot of people around the world who don't pay very close attention would have missed the fact that uh, India has moved ahead so quickly in the last few years in t- in terms of uh, cleaning uh, cleaner engines technology progression electrification electronic controls all these things have happened uh, low low sulfur fuel. Um, and it's now just really a matter of implementation and and waiting for the for the fleet to renew, and we'll start seeing, I think, really big impacts on air quality improvements. So very very exciting to just be discussing how how uh, uh, aggressively India is is moving ahead on on these technology issues, and very glad that uh, you, you know you've been able to share some of the key points with us. Do you have any final concluding thoughts to share with us, just from your perspective uh, in terms of how you see the next steps and and uh, you know the future of, of emissions control in India? Yes, thank you. Uh, we have a lot of work to do as industry. We are moving forward in every emission, every segment towards the stringent ones. So there is a huge growth which is expected in view of component industry with emission technologies coming forward because everybody is interested in contributing to clean energy and uh, clean emissions. So we are, we are air quality. So the opportunities are very high. The opportunity available with component manufacturers are very high. And certainly with the OEMs, the opportunities are going to be exports. We would be able to level ourselves to the real global standards and export vehicles. So there are opportunities available. But at the same time, we need to see what kind of investments we can do, what prioritizing the investments and what kind of competencies we have within the country to implement them within the local support and probably get some outside support in view of higher end technologies to bring in. So the opportunities are high. We need to be wary of our investments and the government support need to improve. The government is right now um, acting on it. If they start uh, proactively helping us, we will be able to do much more than what we are thinking. Uh, otherwise, we, we have a lot, lot of work to do and uh, way forward to uh, move in the right direction. And I must uh, thank you and uh, George for this excellent podcast thank you no we 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 really appreciate your time and actually i always say i always enjoy having a conversation with you there's never a dull moment and it's never (laughs) it's never you know you it's useless or not not valuable i over the years just been great just to sit on the phone and listen to you and, and share your expertise so again i thank you for sharing it not only with tim and i but all our all our listeners. Um, I think my parents always used to say anything worth having is worth fighting for. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines. I do listen to my parents, of course. Um, so even though it took us a while to get you on here, this just these this 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 hour or so that we've spent on, on the phone together, it just it just makes it all worthwhile. So again, thank you so much for the time. Um, and thanks everybody for listening to the this is so exhausting podcast today um please don't forget to to like subscribe or follow depending on how you are listening to us 
And more importantly, please do send us a message on who you'd like to hear from. Maybe there's a specific sector or specific market you'd also like to hear from. You know, for the past two episodes, you've focused on India. But maybe there's certain areas or certain um, technologies you'd like us to, to, to touch on. If, you, if, if that is the case, let us know. We, we, our main aim is to serve the people. So in, 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 in order for us to do that efficiently, we do need to hear from you. So do send us your questions and, and also feedback. So you can write us a review on Spotify or on Apple Music and let us know how we're doing. Um, it would be really useful. And maybe give us Char- five stars. Charge and Tim, maybe I must thank the listeners. Uh, I got excited with the discussions. I must <laughs> say thank the listeners so patiently sitting there and listening it. And I we would certainly, I hope this will be much useful to them. And thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. <laughs>